I had a conversation this week with um, a friend of mine in the community. Actually, he was on the administrative team of one of our local schools, and I was working at volunteering at the schools as I do throughout, uh, during the week. And I was talking to him uh, during uh, lunch, and he told me a story from, from Thanksgiving. Actually, it was about Black Friday. The week of Thanksgiving, he looked ahead and saw an advertisement uh, on, on Black Friday for a, uh, it was at one of the, of the home improvement stores. I think it was Home Depot, but I could be wrong about that. It doesn't matter where it was at. It was at one of the home improvement stores. And it was um, a snowblower, a real nice snowblower that's usually $700 that for Black Friday was on sale for $250. And he thought to himself, you know, I, I don't need the snowblower because you know, I've gotten by without it before now, but I could sure use one. And at that price, yes, he was so excited. So that morning he got up and he went to Home, De Home Depot, I believe, and he got there and he was in there in the first hour of the store being opened. He arrived and he went to find him, looked around, couldn't find him. So he asked an associate where uh, these snowblowers were and he was informed that they had only 20 snowblowers available at that price for Black Friday and that they were all gone in the first five minutes the store was open. They were gone. But the store associate told them, they said, you, you didn't, well, they, he said, you did miss a whole thing. They said that when people were pouring over them, there was a brawl. There were grown men fist fighting each other in the store for those 20 snowblowers. So he, they said, you sure missed the whole, the whole thing. Which brings me to my topic of church today, joy. We're going to talk about joy, okay, because this is the season, right? This is the time of year. So, I mean, can you feel it? We're going to sing this song at the end of the service today. We're going to talk about joy to the, we're going to sing joy to the world before we leave. You know, do you feel the joy to the world today? It started just after Halloween when some radio stations already changed their music to Christmas and some decorations and stores came out and you're like, what? Did you feel the joy on Black Friday or perhaps Thanksgiving evening, as you rushed to the store to get one of those three per store deals that were already gone, so you ended up spending your money while you were there on other things you didn't come to get in the first place? Or perhaps, do you see the joy in your calendar with all of the parties and gatherings and obligations, right? Like, I mean, there's your, your job, your company's Christmas party. There's your spouse's job's Christmas party. There's your uh, own Christmas celebration as a couple or a family with your kids. There's your extended family's Christmas gathering. And there's your spouse's extended family's Christmas gathering. And there's the band or the choir concert at the school that your kid's in. And there's a church that has a Christmas Eve service, because why not? And so there's so much going on. Have you felt the squeeze on the calendar of all the things there are to do? Do you rejoice? Do you rejoice at the sight of your bank account draining or, God forbid, your credit cards rising with gifts and food and more gifts and more food. And perhaps it's a tough thing because you wonder where is the joy at the empty seat or seats at the table where someone no longer sits, someone who has passed away or someone who's moved away or someone who's just walked out of your life altogether. And it'd be easy for sometimes to sit back, for some of us or at certain stages of our life, be easy to sit back and ask ourselves, how can anyone in the real world sing joy to the world? 
Like, is that something you have to compartmentalize your life into this little corner and you kind of funnel into that compartment and sing the Christmas songs because they feel good and then you quit escaping and go back to the real world where you're like, oh, joy to the world. What I want to say today is that I, I hear that and I, I get that. Believe me, more than you could ever know. I want to say this to you today. Joy is possible and joy is available. But please hear this. It won't come because your kids are perfect. It won't come because your spouse is amazing. It won't come because your job is calm all of a sudden, somehow. It won't come because your family is nice for once. It won't come because you walk outside and find there's a Lexus in your driveway with a bow on it. But you see, here's what I want to say. Joy does not need the outside to change because joy does not come from the outside. So I want to look at a Bible story together with you for a bit today. And it's, it's found in the Christmas story in Scripture. And as we get into the story, I want you to understand that we're going we're gonna to read the actual Christmas story, the story of the birth of Jesus real quick. And, and I can't park there long, but we're going to read it. We always read it on Christmas Eve during the candlelight portion of our Christmas Eve service. And don't miss that. It's going to be a great time this year, all the things that we have planned. But here's the thing. Um, we're going to read the story right now. And I'm going to try to do something that's very hard for me to do, and that is to take, the, to take the first part of the story and just read it. I'd like to stop and kind of get into the story and tease it out a bit, as you know. But I'm going to read through it quickly today. We'll, we'll give it a more thorough look a different time. But for now, I want to read the story that's found in Luke chapter 2, because it's going to lead us to another story afterwards that we're going to take the time to dig into today. Let's begin in Luke 2 and verse 1. It says, at that time, the Roman governor, I'm sorry, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. Remember, King David, we've been studying about David. He was from the, the little town of Bethlehem, or the village, if you would please, the village of Bethlehem. And that's where Joseph was from, but he was not living there. It says he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, another little village he was living at and working at as an adult. He did not come alone. It says he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And you have to wonder what kind of circumstances would cause a woman who was expecting a child. Apparently, as one translation says, she was great with child, um, which is almost as funny as last week's ex-description of um, Abraham being as good as dead. She was great with child. But anyhow, she was expecting a child and he, she travels with him for whatever reason, and so they get there. And I don't know if by the time they got there, she was so far along that it was ridiculous to go back, so they just stayed for a while. Or when they got there, she was so close to term that they didn't want to leave yet. Or if the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem shook things up and she was 
going into early labor. But all I know is that the verse uh, 6 tells us that while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And they're far from home. It says she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. They're staying in a stable, in, in, in a type of a, a barn, so to speak, a stable. And she lays him in a trough or a manger. Now, I know we romanticize it. Look, I know we romanticize the Christmas story because it's 2,000 years later. So for us, it's a cute story to read. It brings up sentimental thoughts. We can sit there in our creature comforts of our house and our nice setting and our nice lighting, drinking our coffee or our hot chocolate and read the story and it seems so romantic. But this is not romantic. This is a couple far from home who's with a very pregnant lady giving birth far from home, not in a house because there's no place to stay. There's no, there's no lodging available probably because they were, the town was full of people because of the census. And it was a village anyhow. They probably didn't have a lot of places to go. Someone booked up the lodging. All the Airbnbs were filled. And there's no place to go. And so they had to go somewhere. And she's very pregnant. And they're poor, so they probably can't afford to pay more to get some, you know, they just, they just stay where they can stay. And they're in a stable. And how many of you women would love the story that you got to give birth to one of your children, or you will get to give birth to a child in a barn. And I don't mean like your, you know, you know, your barns now they, they create into really nice settings for weddings. They, they, they turn barns into like wedding venues or like there's a beautiful barn where you can pose for Pinterest with babies in a little spot for cute. That's not what this is. This is a functioning barn with animals and smells and happenings. You want to go there out of town and just stay. No, I can't stay anywhere. Got to stay out here in the barn. Oh, I'm, I'm going to labor. Still nowhere to go. I'll give birth right here to my baby. What's, what's louder, the mom's crying uh, during labor or the bleeding of the animals? I don't know. What's gross or what smells more? I don't know what's happening. All I know is that the baby's born and they wrap him in snugly, they wrap him snugly in strips of cloth and lay him in a trough, a manger. Keep the sheep away, you know. No, this isn't for you. I mean, that's what it was at Christmas, the birth of the Savior. Welcome to the world, King Jesus. And if that's not very romantic, if that's pretty rough, to a very poor couple, we'll discuss that another time, but a very poor couple. If that's not enough, the story pivots away from that scene to some other people who are living the most mundane of lives in the most mundane of jobs and situations. In verse number eight, it says that that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. And I know, again, we romanticize the Christmas story. So we have these little manger scenes with a baby in the cute little manger. Mary and Joseph looking all angelic, glows around their head. And then there's the shepherd showing up. And there's always the wise men there, even though the wise men weren't there. Half of our manger scenes are biblically, you know, they were inaccurate. But that's no big deal. I don't get worried about that. It's just... You know, the actually people would have to correct half of our major scenes. But anyhow, um, but the shepherds, we, we romanticize the shepherds. But can we be real? This is not so glamorous. They were shepherds for crying out loud. Now, I don't know how your job is, and we could all complain about our jobs. If I passed the microphone around today, and we were being honest and with each other, we could all complain about our jobs, right? But I bet you they're better than this one. 
I know that's hard to say when you're in a job you don't like. And let's be honest, jobs are always difficult because you work for someone. And aren't all bosses difficult to work for? It is always takes humility. <laughs> it's humbling to work for somebody and with somebody. And to be told you could have done better and to correct it on this or, or overtold that or questioned on this or fussed about, you know, it just, it just takes, yeah. And any job might sound good when you first get it, but then once the glamour wears off, you know, but you talk about jobs that you wouldn't want to have, it's this one. They're watching sheep. Sheep, folks. Sheep. Okay? They smell bad. Okay? They smell bad. I mean, I know this is a newsflash for you. It was a dirty job. They had to keep them safe from outside. So by the way, this is the midnight crew. We'll get to that in a moment here. But they have to keep them safe from, from threats of, of, of animals that would come and attack them to eat. Or poachers that would come to steal them for their own livelihood. Or sheep that would wander off. There was the external and the internal threats and pressures. And they have to keep them clean because that, that they got to keep them safe. They're accountable for all those, that livestock. Because that's somebody's future lunch. That's the gyro sandwich for somebody later. That's, a, that's some wool that will be turned into a, 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 some clothing. That's, that's livelihood. And these shepherds who are working, by the way, the late shift, it's nighttime. That tells us something about who they were. Because if you're a shepherd walking, you know, the sheep have to be watched 24-7. If you're watching the sheep at night, you're in one of two categories. You're either a small-time operation, you got some flocks, but you can't afford to hire someone to watch your flocks for you, so you're out watching them all hours of the night yourself, which is also a struggle, or you're a, a, someone who was hired by someone who was a big, wealthy enough conglomerate of, you know, in the sheep industry that uh, you were hired to work the midnight shift so that person can sleep normal hours. You see what I'm saying? I mean, one way or the other, you're either working for the man, and everyone loves working for the man, or you are the man, and if that seems better to you, try being a business owner. Try to say, I'm going to break off and own my own business because that's so much more relaxing. You know, it all rises and falls on you, right? That's a whole different way of laying in bed when you are in bed, losing sleep. Every time a sheep is gone, that's overhead inventory. How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to get by? So whether these are shepherds who are watching their own sheep, hoping that they can take care of their, their expenses and their needs and feed their families. And maybe they're sharing the responsibility with other small-time shepherds who take turns on the night shifts and the day shifts. Or whether these were just midnight workers hired as hirelings to work for a guy who has enough money to pay someone else to do the nighttime shift. And they're just out there trying to feed their families. Their wives, if they're married, are home. Their kids are in bed. They're leaving to work all night. Right? Because someone's got to do it. you got to eat and live indoors. And so they're watching the sheep. And it's a, it's a, it's a smelly job. It's a, it's a tedious job. And it, if it's exciting, it means something bad's happening. That's not good. When something bad's happening, it's just boring. Keep toothpicks under your eyes to stay awake, please, all night long. Does the coffee work very well? Do you make laps around? Do you take turns paying attention? Is there a, is there a fire to near, get near? Do you walk around and do you stare at, do you take a smoke break here and there and talk to the guys about, you know, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, man, that, uh, that, um, that boss of ours, or complain about the government, complain about taxes, complain about the in-laws, and just pass the hours one hour at a time all night long. Now, here's what I want to say. 
these shepherds were doing the work that shepherds have to do. And it says in verse 9 that suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified. And wouldn't you be terrified? Come on now. If you're out there in the middle of the night and you're used to watching you're, you're, think about this. Shepherds, it's dark. They didn't all have night vision goggles or the highest, you know, advanced tech for, uh, you know, military soldiers today. With you know, They're out there <coughs> looking around and in the shadows looking for predators coming by. It's pretty calm. And all of a sudden, in the middle of all of this, poof, there's somebody that wasn't there before right next to you. That's like a scene from a horror movie. Like you're like, whoa, there's somebody here. They, where they come from? And then it wasn't just somebody there out of nowhere. That'd be creepy. It was a spiritual presence because they had a radiance about them. The Lord's glory. So obviously the thing that appeared out of nowhere to, to, to summon you is somebody who is otherworldly, spiritual entity. How many of you want to be out in the middle of the night in the field and a spiritual entity pops up and says, Boo, or hello, or whatever they say. And they were terrified. I can picture the terror of saying, ah, no, no, well, that wasn't me. That was the, that was the sheep, you know. Um, I, I shovel that stuff. Uh, don't worry about me. I'm fine. Um, but, but they were just shocked to be interrupted by an angelic presence. But verse 10 says, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. Easier said than done. Don't be afraid, he said. Why? I bring you good news. Oh, good news. Well, I'll take some good news. What kind of good news? Did I win Powerball, the Powerball finally? Did my stock options get picked up? Am I going to be okay? Can I retire? No, no, I bring you good news that will bring great joy. That sounds better. Great joy to all people. Oh, I see. This is not great news for me specifically. It's great news for me and everyone else. This is a, this is a big announcement for all people. Great joy for all people. Well, then why are you talking to me? Because I'm just a, a shepherd working the midnight hours. I'm a nobody. Why are you telling me if it's for all people? What are you doing here? And what is this great news, good news of great joy? The angel says in verse 11, The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, they would know what that meant. Probably. And here's why. We always underestimate, we always overestimate everyone's spirituality in these times. Can I remind you that most people were illiterate back then? Like if you lived in the cities, you might have had 10% of, 10 or 11% of people had an education of some sort in the cities. That's pretty low rate. Because of the times they lived in, everything was such a, a labor. And if you lived in the rural areas, if you lived out in the rural areas, you're probably like at 1% or 2%, maybe slightly better, of literacy. People didn't read. They were too busy spending day and night figuring out how to make a living. And maybe when you were little and a parent could care for you around the chores and someone could, could share the load, you'd learn some stories and hear a few things. And maybe if you were free and there was a synagogue nearby, you go to synagogue on the Sabbath or on the first day of the week and you would maybe have the time to hear some stories. Like a, we would call Sunday school today for kids or something like that. I don't know. And maybe you wouldn't. But, but, but then you're all grown up. These shepherds are all grown up. Did they still practice faith? Did any, were any of these people devout enough to still go to synagogue once a week? 
Or do they kind of drift away because work got too busy and you got to pay the bills and that's never done anything for me to help me in my life, so whatever. They just kind of drifted into survival mode. And so we have no idea how faith-filled these shepherds were or how much they've ever been told. But probably in Israel, they have at least some experience with the story of the Messiah because it was a tale as old as time in their culture. It was the story of their history, how that they were once slave people in Egypt and God led them out through the leadership of Moses and brought them to independence and established their nation that was promised to their distant ancestors before that. And they could, they could hear the stories that, that a Messiah, a Savior, was going to come one day. But probably to most of them, they thought the Messiah was going to be a political rescuer, a political Savior, to free them from whatever foreign government oppressed and controlled them, whether it was the Babylonians before, or the Persians after that, or the Greek Empire, and currently the Roman Empire. But, but then again, that was a, such an old story. That was 1,500 years since Moses talked that way. So at some point, those are just become legends, urban myths. Like, is there really ever a Savior or a Messiah coming? Sure, we've heard that before. And time has passed, and they're just plugging away, living their lives day in and day out like every time before. And who knows how faithful or devout they were, but they probably knew the story. And when the angel's there, and you pay attention, by the way, when an angel shows up out of nowhere in the middle of the night to you and says, hello, you pay attention to what they have to say. And they're like the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord is born today. That's a big deal. And not only was he born today, of all the times in history that people have looked to the Savior coming, it was that very day. Can you imagine that? Like in my lifetime? Like I've heard of that before, but it's actually happening. Not just soon, but now, like today. And I'm the first to hear about it. And not just somewhere in the world today, but right over there in Bethlehem. Because you see, the shepherds were watching their sheep in the fields nearby Bethlehem, which means either they were from Bethlehem and working out in the fields, or they were just shepherds who were a bit nomadic and were grazing near. Either way, they're near Bethlehem. They're next to it. And this angel says right there in that little village is the promised Messiah and Savior of the ages, born today. And then the angels give him another sign. You will recognize him by this sign. They said, you will find a baby. Now, this is weird. I, I know, we just read it like it's normal. We drink our coffee and our hot chocolate. This is weird. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Who does that? Okay, okay, okay. Track with me here. Babies aren't born and lying in mangers. I know that this, like... A ritual now. That's not what happens. Babies are born in houses. Maybe hospitals. Did they have those things in them? Probably not back then. They were born in comfortable conditions. And when they're born, they're, they're laid in cribs or cradles in a bedroom. You don't find a baby in a manger in a stable. How silly is that? That's laughable. But the angel said, that's the sign. That's the sign. The sign, you want a sign? Here's the first sign. An angel appeared to you. Does that happen every day? I don't think so. Sign number two, go over to Bethlehem and inside a stable there's a baby lying in a manger and when you see that baby you'll know that's unusual and you have been warned and told it was going to be that way and you'll know what I'm saying is true. 
If you want a third sign, here goes. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others. So if that wasn't alarming enough, here's a whole bunch of them. Boof! <laughs> a host of others, the armies of heaven, and they're praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now when the angels are suddenly all around you singing to you, you're like, that's the first Noel. And it's about the Savior being born. And then as fast as they showed up, as fast as they arrived, they left. As fast as they made a whole spectacle out of that field of shepherds, a few shepherds watching some sheep, as fast as they appeared, poof, they were gone. And in verse 15, it says, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, By the way, what do you say to each other? Well, that was weird. Larry, did you see all that or was that just in my head? Oh, Frank, I think that really happened. I thought maybe I smoked something I shouldn't have smoked. I don't know what that was. That was real? Yeah, that, real, that was a real. What do you say to each other in a moment like that? When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, great, bet you'll be expected to buy him a gift. That's what they said, right? My kids and all their friends and all their parties, you gotta go buy more gifts. They have so many parties in the family. I can't, I can't afford it all. You know, they're like, gonna go have to work some more overtime probably to pay for all of this. Pick up some extra midnight shifts, yay. Right? Because it's the Messiah. You know, skip that one. Cool story. Cool story, bro. But I've got a job to do. I've still got problems that won't shovel itself. Here I am, shoveling sheep um, stuff. <laughs> I got to carry on with my life the way I always have been because what else can I do? They could have had any reaction in that moment. But instead, they chose, and this is such a big deal, and I know we take it for granted because it happened, and of course, they were all wonderful, devout saints of God. But these shepherds who were just trying to grind out a living and find a way to eat and live indoors, and they're working late at night, they took a moment after this wild scene was finished to say, hmm, what do we do now? And they chose to step into the story and explore it further. Verse 15 really says, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. It's right over there. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's go. And I can imagine the conversation from there. What about the sheep? Eh, what could possibly go wrong? Well, I'll leave them here. Or no, I know, let's draw straws and the person with the short straws got to stay behind. Oh, I'm sorry, Ralph, you're staying behind and watching the sheep. Or maybe they're like, I ain't staying behind, let's just all go, bring the sheep with us. I don't know what they did. But they're like, we're not going to stay out here in the fields when there's, we're going to go see what's going on. Because we had angels here telling us something's happening in there. And we can just take their word for it, but I'm not satisfied with just sitting back and saying, I heard a great story tonight, yay, joy to the world. I'm going to go see it for myself. Let's go. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the angels have told us about, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village, 
and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And I just want you to think about how absolutely exhilarating that moment would be. Because I can picture them walking into the village at night saying, what are we doing here, guys? We're like idiots. Like, we're supposed to be out there in the fields. Someone's going to be like, what are you doing in here? Middle of the night. Go out there, you know. What are we doing here? Wandering through town, you know? Just looking for something. I mean, is this real? Do we imagine this? I think we're going to find this. As they're walking through, and they said a baby. Can you imagine as they're looking around, and suddenly they see a stable over there that actually has lights, like candlelight going inside. Like, that's weird. That must be it. And they get closer, and they see a couple inside, and their hearts begin to pound a little bit faster because they heard something incredulous, and now they're about to see it with their own eyes. And they walk a little closer, and there really, as, as it comes into view, is a manger with a baby inside, which is bizarre. And they heard it before they saw it. And then they're walking in, and sure enough, there it is, a manger and a baby inside. I mean, their hair on the back of their necks must have been standing up. Their hearts must have been racing to say, whoa, we, we knew this crazy thing was happening before we saw it because we had angelic visitors tell us about it. I mean, it had to be such a bizarre and wild moment to walk up and lay their eyes on this baby in this moment. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angels had told them about this child. Who is everyone? They told everyone. Who is that? I don't know, Mary and Joseph? Whoever else? There had to be some other people milling about, right? Like when you hear a woman giving birth in a stable, you tend to be like, someone's going to come over and say, can we help? You know, the baby's born. They're like, oh, can we see the baby? I mean, there's going to be a buzz. Certainly some people were milling around or staying close by and paying attention. But did they tell those people? Did they tell their wives and children when they got home that night, the next morning when they woke up? You ain't going to believe what happened at work last night. What? Did the sheep run away again? I don't even care. No, 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 no. Angels and babies born in mangers. I mean, can you imagine this, the stories they told the next day? Or that Friday at the bowling league? Hey, guys, did you about the angel? And the, yes, you told us three times already, Larry. Oh, okay. I mean, seriously, this is intense. And they told everyone. Why? Because it was a big deal. In fact, it was such a big deal that it says all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. And this is why it matters. And this is why I said earlier, by the way, about those invite cards for our Christmas Eve service. Not to derail from the story, but there's something that, that there's a, a message that, that makes a difference. And the shepherds were like, I got to tell. And my God telling the shepherds through the angels what was happening that day. And them telling others. Everyone at the day was astonished that God was doing something in their world. And, and they're like, What? And everyone can't believe these guys, they had a, a, a spiritual visit. And it told them that a baby would be born in a manger. Ain't that silly? But it was true. They found the baby. And everyone who hears the story is astonished. They're shocked. But God's doing what God does. God is letting the world know that what has been promised for a long time is finally arrived. And one little miracle, like, like all the miracles that Jesus would do before the cross, one little sensational moment at a time, he's raising awareness that something big is here. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart, and she thought about them often. And I imagine she did, by the way. It probably helped her through the years. And then it gets us to an interesting statement. It says, then 
the shepherds went back to their flocks. Did you ever think about the shepherds? Like we get, for us, the shepherds are frozen in time in our manger scene in our front yard during the month of December. Did you ever think about what happened to the shepherds in real life? They went back to work. Like no one was like, well, I don't know about you, Frank, but I'm quitting my job. Who, who needs to work again when I just saw what I saw? I'm gonna live the rest of my life off of the wonder and glow of this magical night. No. You gotta go back and figure out how to, you gotta keep finding a way to eat and live indoors. So you know what they did after this was over? Well, that was a thing. Back to work. Back to another late night shift. Back to watching the sheep. Back to sitting around and keeping an eye on things and taking our laps and keeping toothpicks under our eyes to stay awake all night and, and worrying about the fight we had at home with the family before we came here and griping about the boss and the government and taxes and the in-laws or whatever else we're going to gripe about to our buddies on smoke break because we got to figure this out. They went back to work. The shepherds went back to work, but here's the difference. They went back to work glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angels had told them. They went back and saying, yeah, we got to go back. But whoo, boy, there's some good stuff. I mean, strange things are afoot at the Circle K, you know. We have seen some crazy stuff today, and we're going to go back to work, and we're going to celebrate what we've watched together. In a way, and for the majority of the practical side of their life, here's the thing I'm trying to say. Nothing changed. Not, folks, nothing changed. They had to go back to work. But at the same time, everything changed. I mean, think about it. The shepherds went back to the same boring job, knowing that it would never be as good or as fun as that night ever again, but it didn't have to be because that night had happened. Like, they, they didn't go back and said, I wonder who's going to visit us tomorrow. You know, they knew when they went back to work that night, it was done. They knew that night there was nothing else going to come their way. That they had their once-in-a-moment moment, once-in-a-lifetime moment. And they experienced something that was cool, but guess what the next day is going to be? Stay awake, pinch yourself, watch the sheep, deal with the drama, go home, get some sleep while the, everyone else is awake. I mean, you know, that night would never happen again. And it might never be the same, but they could never take that away. And for the shepherds, they could go back glorifying and praising God because even though they had to go back to their regular, regular grind of life, they would always be able to find the joy that Christmas happened and that it was just the start of something great. And I believe that the reason the story is in the Scriptures so for us is because it speaks to you and me because most of us can relate more than anyone else to the shepherds. Because there are other characters in the story, but any of us aren't Jesus, right? If we're going to try to identify with the characters, we're not Jesus. Probably not even Mary and Joseph, let's be real here. We're like some of the people who heard the story. If we were living 2,000 years ago and we got a chance to be this close to the story, who are we? Probably not the wise men. You're the wise men, by the way, right? The wise men are the people that you expect. The wise men are the rich people, the elite, the privileged, who live far away, but who also were spiritually studious and theologically understanding, and they studied. 
And they knew that the, the, the a Messiah was promised and a star was coming. And they had enough of, of a work at it and, and enough wealth to leave for months at a time and go far away and bring gifts, very wealthy gifts for this baby. But that's not most of us. In fact, it'd be tempting to think that if God would have treated the shepherds the way that some of us have seen religious people treat each other, it would have gone differently. Because in our backgrounds of how we've seen God viewed sometimes in religion, we'd expect God to say to those shepherds, what's wrong with you? Those wise men are from far off lands, not even from around here. And they know the Messiah is coming. They know the scriptures. They're paying attention. And you don't even know what's happening in your own backyard. You don't deserve to know. You can just die in your ignorance, right? I mean, we're so harsh. But these shepherds were too busy trying to survive day by day and moment by moment and year by year. And God said, I'm coming to you in the thick of your real life hustle to say that you need to know that my message is for you first. You're going to beat the wise men there because it's for all people. It's good news that brings great joy to all people. I'm going to start with the people in the most regular, mundane life circumstances you could imagine. And just listen carefully. Just as God sent the angels to the shepherds, the ones dealing with some of the worst situations around, God comes to you where you are. In the mundane of your life to bring you the message of joy. This Christmas, he wants you to hear a story like that that's kept and recorded in the scriptures because he wants you to know that you matter and that you matter to him. And that's the point of the story. No one's underprivileged. No one's overlooked. No one's unimportant. No one's, you know, they're not theologically astute or they're not wealthy. No, no, no. You, we all matter. Everyone matters and you today matter. In your circumstances, however bad or good it is, you matter. And you matter to God. And he sent that baby for you and for me. So here's what I want to say. Don't let the mundane ruin the joy of the festivity, right? Like the, the, the I know Christmas is here and it's like, everyone joyful, joyful, peace, everything's wonderful. And you're like, oh, I just got to work more hours. There's so much going on. My calendar's extra full. Don't let the mundane ruin the joy of the festivity. Even though, and this is interesting, it's psychology. Even though the expectation of the joy brings more attention to the mundane, doesn't it? Like the very fact that there's a big old spotlight in every December saying, joy is in the air. All that does is remind you, no, it's not. You know, because the mundane is there. And I'm like, oh, look at this. And then all of a sudden, oh, look, I'm supposed to be extra happy. Well, I ain't feeling that. So it just makes it, it almost makes it worse. Makes it harder. But don't let the mundane ruin the joy of the, of the festivity. See, and I, I made this statement and I want to go back to it a couple of weeks ago in Thanksgiving season. There's, a, there's an old hymn I grew up hearing that says, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And, and it's interesting thing about that, about that idea is that everyone has blessings and everyone has problems, don't we? But I've learned that there's just sometimes in life we get sucked into looking at something and it's easy to get sucked into our problems or our ruts or our frustrations and they're just so front and center that we count our problems and name them one by one. And then we are surprised how sucky life is, you know? We're looking at these things and we're like, oh. And then someone's like, what about your blessings? What blessings? They're going to make our life so difficult. 
But, but we all have problems and we all have blessings. And I've seen people with so many problems who are so busy counting their blessings that you're like, you seem happy. What about those problems? What problems? It's, it's not that they don't exist. It's that we all can focus. We all can, we all can be clued into something. And it is a, it's a habit. It is a human nature thing to get sucked in to the negative stuff. And it, it feeds itself like an addiction to where it almost becomes a comfort to be down and a comfort to be stuck. It feels safe and secure just to be like, Ugh, and right there. And so when the season comes, let's be better. We're like, uh, why? All that tells me is, look how bad it is. Because it's so right there. And, and I want to just say this today. We've got to find a way to look past that. And so let me give you this statement and, and talk about it for just a moment here. When the, when the festivities remind you of the mundanity, remind yourself of the reason for the festivity. There's a reason for it to be festive this time of year, and it's not just because someone said so. There's a reason. And when the festivities remind you, when, when this, the, the presence of this time of year reminds you of all that's not right in your life, don't just say, see, I wish I could find that joy. Say, no, I gotta find that joy. I gotta work out of the tendency to get sucked in addictively to just the space I'm in and to say, how do I find a place to look at why? What is the reason for there to be joy? What is the reason for the festivity? What is the point that should be bigger, that brings good news of great joy to all people? Christmas is about getting your eyes off of the mundane, everyday existence of the world. And it's about getting your eyes onto the God who came to Love you and save you. That's the point of Christmas. We celebrate as people of faith the greatest gift ever given, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus was born, and we celebrate that at Christmas, but he wasn't just born to be born. He was born to die. And after he died, to rise again to bring us back to God because God was saying, I want us to be together. I want relationship with you. God was saying, I want you back more than I want you to pay. So I'll do the paying. And that's what the cross was about. That's what the empty tomb was to celebrate power over death and life that is eternal. But it all began the day the baby showed up into our actual real world. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. And if we can lean into that, that's the reason we celebrate. That is the good news that brings great joy to all people. And I know that it can be dismissed because I have too many. I have 99 problems already. We can just look past them and find that one thing that's supposed to pull us above it all. And it can. But we lose joy when we get our eyes on the broken world and on our broken world instead of on the one who came to make things right. And more important than that, he came to make all things new one day. And so, here we are. So how do I do that, Arlen? How do I avoid falling into, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge mode, you know? Ebenezer Scrooge is like... um. Bah humbug. How do, I, how do I go to the other famous biblical Christmas character, the Grinch, and say, cheer up, dude, it's Christmas. How do I, how do I get there, right? Well, you got to do what the shepherds did. you got to do what the shepherds did. Here's the thing about the story that we just read. The baby was there in the Bethlehem's manger whether or not they went to see it. They could have said, 
well, hey, you know, we could go into Bethlehem, I mean, and see this thing for, they just said, are you kidding me? Ain't nobody got time for that. I mean, I'm tired. It's been a long night. That would be just weird. I don't even like people. I mean, who wants to see people I don't know? That's awkward. And you know what? My feet are tired. My dogs are barking. I mean, you know, it's been a long day. You know, I'm just going to stay here and rest by the fireplace. But they said, you know what? Whether we go to Bethlehem or not, the baby's there. We can just sit there and say that's a cool story that we heard. Great. Thanks, God. But how does that fix my today issues? Or we can say, let's lean in. Let's take a step forward. Let's, let's go and, and lay our eyes. Let's, let's take the extra steps and effort to go somewhere and figure out what it's all about and celebrate something that's happening. Whether we celebrate it or not, it's still there. So do what the shepherds did. This Christmas, take time to lean into that. Lean into the story. Make sure that you experience the point of Christmas until you won't be the same. It deserves your attention. And if you don't know how, then go to God in prayer and say, God, by your spirit that lives inside of me, help me see something bigger than the stuff that sucks me in each day. Because the joy of Christmas, listen, the joy of Christmas is not the celebration of the season that comes around this time of year because the songs told us to do so. And I love it. I love the festivities. I love the lights. I love the decorations. I love the movies. Just watched... Uh, this week, uh, that was that Will Ferrell and uh, um, Ryan Reynolds' uh, Spirited on Apple TV. That was fun. Uh, I love the movies and the, and the shows and all that stuff. Hey, the, 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 the joy of Christmas is not the celebration of the season that comes around this time of year. The joy of Christmas is the celebration of the Savior who came to be near to you in your mundane life and struggle because you matter and you matter to him and that's where we find the joy so lean in the season let's pray